and welcome to The Literacy Teacher's Life, a podcast for teachers and parents that gives ideas about how to help our children learn to love reading, writing, and all things literacy. I'm your host, Elizabeth Morphus, a literacy professor and a mom to two elementary-aged girls. Here we'll talk about thoughtful, creative, and realistic ways to navigate literacy learning so that your children will feel supported and seen in their reading and writing. Now, let's get this conversation started. Hello, and welcome to the Literacy Teacher's Life podcast. This is the podcast for ideas, tips, and strategies to help elementary children thrive with literacy. This is episode 30. I can't believe we're at 30 episodes already. And today, I have a great conversation for you all. On today's episode, I'm talking to Jennifer McCarty Plunker about her new book, Inspiring Lifelong Learners. And while this is a book aimed at students in middle and high school, she explains how she got many of her ideas from the elementary classroom. A big focus of this book is helping students find their reading identity, and that can absolutely be applied to any age and any grade level. So without Any further ado, I'm going to get right to the interview. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Jennifer. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Well, I'm so excited to talk to you about your experiences and your new book coming out. So can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I currently live in Minnesota, so you might hear (laughs) some of that accent. I live in Rosemount, which is just outside of the Twin Cities. And while I don't love, love winter, I do (laughs) love that we really do have the best of the best for all four seasons. I'm currently a newly empty nester. So I'm trying to figure that out. My son right now, he graduated from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and he's actually working with special education students in a middle school in Lincoln. So that's been fun to hear his experiences. And then um, my daughter is a a sophomore slash junior credit-wise at Grand Canyon University. My husband teaches social studies in the seventh grade, so we're definitely a lot of educators' education happening in the Bucker household. Oh, that's great. For work, I currently serve as the director in the professional learning division at Mackin Mm -hmm. Educational Resources. We are super passionate at Mackin about getting high-quality, authentic texts, both print and digital, into the hands of all readers. Mm -hmm. So I'm definitely working at a company that has my passion But prior to coming here, I spent more than 20 years in public education, mostly as a middle and high school English teacher. Okay. And it was about 12 years into my teaching of English that I began to see that need for direct literacy instruction at the secondary level Mm -hmm. for students who were not yet reading at grade level. And so I went back to school. I went back to school and got my K-12 reading license. I started there, learned a lot Mm -hmm. about the teaching of reading from my elementary colleagues. 
but felt like I needed to learn more. So that's when I started my doctoral work. And my, while it's an ed leadership doctorate, my focus and research was really around adolescent literacy. I Mm. thought going in that I could just take strategies for teaching reading. So teaching emergent reading skills and tweak them for the secondary Mm -hmm. student. But I quickly learned that I needed to understand more about engagement and motivation with adolescents in order to really break past some of the masks and the barriers that our students have. Yeah. And so that that led me to my my current work um, (laughs) around adolescent literacy. Oh, great. And you have a new book out, Inspiring Lifelong Readers. Can you tell us a little bit about this book? I can. So it just came out. It's brand new. And this is my first opportunity to really talk about it. So it's a little surreal. I did my unboxing video last week. And it is, it was a a long time coming. I worked on it for about five years. But it really came out of my belief that it is never too late to advance the literacy skills of young people. It stems back from that that discovery that I made as an English Mm -hmm. teacher that not all of our kids can read at grade level. So I was teaching 10th grade and I had a student who was really disengaged with Of Mice and Men. That's the book that we were using. And I didn't know how to reach him. Fortunately, I had a great instructional coach who just Mm -hmm. challenged me, figure out why this student is disengaged. So I pulled the student out, did a conference, and my instructional coach said, are you having kids read aloud to you? And I was like, do I need to? Right. So I asked him to read a little bit from the book out loud so that we could then have a conversation. And to my surprise, this 10th grader was struggling to decode the words on the page. Wow. And this wow. was a student in 10th grade who was not identified for special education. This student was not in English. Oh my gosh. Was not an English learner. So they right. this student wasn't receiving any support. And I panicked. Right. Like I went to school to teach English. Yeah. I don't know how to teach reading. And so it was over that next several years that myself and Gratefully, a couple of my colleagues, I had another English teacher, a special education teacher who mm-hmm. were like, let's figure this out. Let's wow. figure out what we can do to meet the needs of these kids. Because it was more than one of them, right? It was not just oh, the yeah. student. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, he That's... just was the catalyst. Yeah. And then we did the research to discover, even though we were a high performing high school, mm-hmm. one that actually my family can't afford to live in the boundaries of right. because okay. it's, it's a sought after high school. I think sometimes that's where kids with higher needs are, we lose them. They're hidden yeah. and they come up with all kinds of ways to mask their challenges. So interesting. Yeah. The book really is an opportunity for me to share. Mm-hmm what we learned, what we tried, and what was remarkably successful for 
building a culture of reading, really creating this community of readers, writers, thinkers, community communicators. Mm-hmm. I think one of our most important discoveries that we made throughout the process was that we needed to create curiosity okay, and yeah. entice kids into this. Right. I, I think about once we identified a, a good number of students that could use the support, we created a double dose class. So we had, we okay. called it Academic Literacy 9, but it was a reading class in yeah. addition to their English class. And at the high school level, that's really hard to do because that might mean saying you're going to delay a world language or Mm. can you do driver's ed after school School. and do reading during school, which kids, (laughs) I don't like to read. So what do you mean? But once we enticed them into the classroom by creating an environment that felt like a coffee shop that mm. had lots of books that wasn't going to be painful yeah <laughs> and got them in through inquiry we were able to in a really short amount of time get students engaging in productive struggle with their reading with their writing with their collaboration and so the the book is yeah. it, it's our story, but it's not. It's it's yeah. practical ways to take what worked for us. And I keep mm-hmm. saying us because even though I it's so took not, the yeah. time to write it down, <laughs> it's not only the work that our team did, but it is because people like Stephen Lane and Kelly Gallagher mm-hmm. and Penny Kittle and Kylene Beers and Chris mm-hmm. Tavani and others wrote books. And told right. us what worked for them so that yeah. we could take those ideas and remix them for what would work for our students. Oh, I love that. That's so great. Oh, my gosh. So this podcast is primarily focused on the elementary grades. But as you said, we want students to become lifelong readers. And I love how you created an environment for the students that you reworked it so that it met their needs. But you highlight strategies in your book to support readers in the upper grades. And you started to talk about this just now. Can you speak about some of the strategies that you highlight in the book? Sure. So when I was writing the book, it is, mm-hmm. it, it's written for 612 teachers because that's my teaching experience. However, I've had the opportunity over the last 10 years that I've been doing consulting to partner with several elementary teachers. And we found that the strategies in the book work Mm -hmm. for all learners. And I think that's probably because I stole them from the elementary (laughs) teachers that I was watching. Right. That's so funny. For example, if we structure the classroom in a workshop framework, Mm so that the teacher isn't on stage all hour, we have an opportunity to meet readers and writers and thinkers where they are. And so that is talked about in the book. How do you take Mm -hmm. the workshop framework that our elementary colleagues know how to 
operate under and make it work in a 50 minute class period when you have 180 or 150 students in your day. How do you take those practices and make it, it doable? So that's one for sure. I also, I had the opportunity to, so the book really talks about inquiry units of study mm-hmm. and how we yeah. need to think about literacy as braiding the strands together. It's not, yes. let's read a novel and do a novel unit, which is what I was doing. This is our <laughs> men unit. And then we'll move to our research paper unit. And then we'll move to our short story unit. Mm-hmm. Inquiry units of study and what I was seeing in the elementary classrooms is that we're bringing it all together, reading, writing, talking around something that is provocative for adolescents or is meaningful for young people. So I had this phenomenal opportunity to work with, and this isn't in the book, (laughs) but I had this great opportunity to work with a kindergarten teacher and her coach on developing an inquiry unit of study for kindergartners. Okay. It's the same process in the book. You start with an essential question. Mm-hmm. Our essential question was how can ordinary kids make an extraordinary contribution? So it's broad, but we knew that if we brought together the language arts learning goals that we needed to do over the next several weeks with the math goals that we needed to do and the social studies goals, we can do that within this overarching question. So we had an anchor text of Alex's lemonade stand and we studied Alex. What did Alex do? Alex was raising money to help in the community. Is Alex an ordinary kid? Yes. Did Alex do something extraordinary? Yes. And then pose the question, what do you want to do, kindergartners? We want to have a lemonade stand. Oh, my gosh. So the whole unit then was centered around their goal to want to raise some money for a sick child in the community and do that through a lemonade stand. Well, they wrote a nonfiction text on how to make lemonade. They read lots of nonfiction books, not all about lemonade, but lots related to lemonade. They had some numeracy, can't remember exactly, but like counting goals. So they counted money. They had, I mean, just all of these, they ended up doing some exploration of acids and bases and they tasted lemons to talk about the acidity of Mm -hmm. lemons. So they brought in some science. And ultimately, those students were reading, they were writing, they were engaging for about five weeks. And all of those learning goals Mm -hmm. that sometimes we tend to parcel out as a checklist were being done within this, this unit of study. And The kids then also did project-based learning with it. They made commercials. They made their green screen backgrounds. They wrote their scripts. Amazing. Amazing work. And that's the process that is in the book is the same process that was Mm -hmm. used with kindergartners. 
so it's and it's great to see how again it works with kindergarten all the way up and the ki- and it's really driven by the students. Yes. Yes. That's amazing. I love that. So I'm very excited to speak to you about this next question, which is about books for students in the upper grades. So often I work with mostly students who are at the childhood, at the elementary and early middle school levels. But I ha- now I have a number of students who are teaching seventh, eighth, all the way through 12th grade. And I do face resistance from them about the books that need to be taught in the upper grades. So I'm curious, you do address books, the need for diverse books in the classroom. Can you talk a little bit about including a wider range of books into middle and high school classrooms? I'm curious what your experience has been and what your recommendations are. Yeah, we could talk forever on them. (laughs) Yes, I'm incredibly passionate about the idea of of challenging ourselves Mm -hmm. at the secondary level in the text that we have in the classroom. I believe that there is a place for whole class novel in the sense that it can create community and there's some benefit when we're all reading the same thing and talking about it. However, I believe we've had an overemphasis on that. And it's concerning to me that I see curricula lists that still have the canon. And these are the same titles that I read in school. They're the same titles my mom and dad read (laughs) in school. Even my grandmother has read some of these titles. And they are not representative of the readers that we have in the class. And I believe that we need to be working on the identity of our readers. And that that. that has to be a goal. And if our kids cannot connect to what we're reading, we are losing them. Plus, adolescents, the adolescent research is crystal clear. Mm -hmm. As the minute we assign something, students' motivation decreases. So let's stop assigning one thing to read for Mm -hmm. everyone. We're already losing their motivation. The minute we introduce choice, we increase engagement Mm -hmm. with our students. So I found that my first shift, I was a very traditional teacher. I think I was a, I I had good rapport with students. We had great activities. I made things fun. But did I find Cliff's notes, Spark notes in the recycling bin all the time? (laughs) Yes. So I started by shifting to book clubs and okay. and took my first year of this journey. I think we read five books all the same that year. And I got rid of three and kept two. Wow. So I kept Night by Ellie Vassell. I felt like that was a really important text. It mirrored well with their social studies learning. Mm-hmm. But in addition to reading night, students were also in book clubs with an easy book, something that they didn't need my support with because night, a lot of students needed support. And then we shifted to instead of we're in our night unit, we looked at Ellie Vassell's quote where he says the opposite of love isn't hate, Mm -hmm. it's indifference. 
And we explored whether or not we agreed with that. And we brought in picture books, short stories, poetry, podcasts, interviews. Mm. And it wasn't all about World War II and the Holocaust. We looked at modern day genocide, (laughs) modern day examples of just in our school. Wow. Hate, you know, or indifference. Mm -hmm. And what are we indifferent toward? Or what do we show indifference towards? And that first experience of doing that and seeing the drastic change in the engagement of my students, I was sold. It was a lot of work that first time because I had so much paradigm shifting that I needed to make. I needed to get out of my head that I needed to teach night so that they got everything out of it from the past 12 times I had taught it, it's their first read. They're right. not going to get all They're, that out. No, And I don't need to make sure that they do. But I can meet the standards because I've studied a lot of language art standards and very mm-hmm. few mention a book title. Right. Maybe Shakespeare, but they don't list any of these books Mm-mm. that are so tied to tradition. That's fascinating. And I just your whole shift there and how that is that it's a lot because you're changing your way of teaching and your method of instruction. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, I had I mean, I did have a team with not yeah. everybody. I had plenty of English teachers in the building who are like, you go, Jen, we'll <laughs> we'll watch and see how that works for right. you. But once they saw it, they were like, OK, now I'm curious. Let's yes. try this. And and I'm happy to say that the district that I left, has, they've completely shifted to wow. all inquiry units of study. That is how they approach language arts, 6 through 12, and even into science and social studies at the middle school level. I think that's what I found the most interesting is you're teaching English, but really there's so much social studies in what you're doing. There's so much content there, and it shows the overlap of it. Right. Yeah. Well, and we have, I feel like that's a luxury we have as mm-hmm. language arts teachers because we don't have content standards. We have skill standards. Right. So we can take, I mean, I just was working with a team of teachers in New Jersey and they took the essential question of, and it's, it's in the book. I want to get it right. How do art, athletics, and literature affect social change? That's a great question. I mean, think about that. How do art, athletics, and literature affect social change? And you can still have an anchor text if you want. And there is so much to answer with that right now in our current context with athletics and art with the current Taylor Swift. Right. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot there. Kids they can each have their own take then. Right. So it, it provides a door for all kinds of readers. Yeah. And that was what I appreciated the most mm-hmm. was seeing the sides of students who didn't engage in English in the traditional way because they just right. like, I'm not going to school to be a professor. I'm not going to school to be a writer. Right. I'm not into literature. But they are learners and everybody Mm -hmm. has 
their own identity as as a yeah. I like that they're all learners. That's a great. That's great. It's a great way to to describe that. Do you have any thoughts about how to help students learn about books and authors and genres that they enjoy at this level? For us, uh, mm-hmm. we found that we we needed to surround students mm-hmm. in with books. I believe that we have to redefine text. Text mm-hmm. isn't just black print on white paper, right? Because that opens doors. But I also believe it's our responsibility to help students read books right. from beginning to end because that advances their literacy to be engaged in a story. They live a lot of their lives right now in snippets. Right. And and we can really accelerate literacy growth when they're reading something in its entirety. So we were fortunate that we brought in classroom libraries. We made sure that the classroom libraries had all kinds of texts, mm-hmm. that they included high-low books, graphic novels, novels yeah. in verse. We made sure that we did have books like Guinness Book of World Records and yeah. things that would just get students opening a book and comfortable with a book. We also had digital. Mm-hmm. I do believe that there is a place for digital. It's important for kids to have an opportunity to, to read an ebook. Right primarily for some of their own exploration that they may not be ready to share with everybody else. You get some some privacy if they're, you know, wrestling with gender or any, you know, parents are going through a divorce and they just need an opportunity because we know that bibliotherapy is real. Right, right. Really do save lives. So we want that for students. But I also believe that we have a responsibility to teach kids in print mm-hmm. so that they're developing that visual part of their brain. So one of the ways in which we worked with students was first to get them to be see themselves as a reader. Okay. When I was interviewing ninth graders for my doctoral research, I asked them to tell me about yourself. What kind of a reader are you? Oh, I I don't read. I'm snowboard. I don't read. I play hockey. Oh, I don't read. And it was like most of them. And I was like, well, what's a reader then to you? And then they would describe the bookworm that goes to the library all the time. And I was like, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) You said that you're a snowboarder. Do you study snowboarding? Do you read about it? Do you watch videos, YouTube, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So we had to redefine that you're a reader. If you're pursuing knowledge related to your passion, they were reading all of the stories in their video games. Most young people have captions on the TV when they're watching whatever they're watching. So students just weren't seeing that. Right. But then I wanted to move them into there's value in reading books. And so let's figure out what kind of reader you are with books. We really leaned into their interests and started there. And we leaned hard into easy so that Mm -hmm. they built their confidence. So for example, if I had a student who was played football and was interested in steroid use, I would give him a high-low book. Orca has one called Juice. And it's easy because it's written at the second grade reading level. Right. 
but it's high interest. It's written for high school students. So we would start there. Then I might staircase the complexity to a book like Crack Back, which is a little harder. It's more at that sixth grade reading level. And then we might talk about who do you admire? Let's do some Mm -hmm. inquiry on who's the athlete that you're really interested in. Let's find some articles. Let's And if there's a memoir, even better, a biography, even better, just to move them up. And then throughout the year, then we're starting to introduce other genre, Mm -hmm. other types of reading, not as an assignment, but as an invitation to challenge oneself. Because we all have our own reader identity. If I had to tell you mine... Everybody knows I'm going to be reading business books because I'm super curious about how does business translate to education? How does leadership in the corporate world translate to the classroom? Yeah. So I read a lot of that. Drive by Daniel Pink, The Science of Mm -hmm. Motivation. You know, I love those kinds of books. Or I'm reading memoirs because I just like true stories. And I just want to know from first person, what's your story? My dad's reader identity is Westerns. He's read every Louis L'Amour book. Oh my gosh. Very That's different amazing. reader identity. And, and, and there's nothing want, wrong with either. Yeah. Nothing wrong with yeah. either. And I think in schools, we, tr- we over, I don't know. I feel like we, let's make an assignment. This quarter, right. you need to read two historical fiction and one of this. And and I just want us to challenge ourselves on why. What is our ultimate goal? And for mm-hmm. me and for us and what we talk about in the book, our goal is for kids to read and to see themselves right. as readers. And we can intersperse all kinds of different genre in shorter texts. And allow them to live in the longer text that they're going to be fully engaged in and be able to pursue through some complexity because of their own curiosity, their own. Right, right. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's amazing. And and so similar, there isn't much different from elementary to secondary. What you're, Everything you're saying applies at the elementary level as well. It's not so, and I think there sometimes is that mindset of, you know, like you said, the canon has to be taught at the up in the upper grades. But again, you can bring in kids' interests as well. I love that you've done that. Oh my gosh! So I'm just curious, as a literacy educator who worked in the upper grades for a number of years, what advice do you have for elementary teachers when they're working with kids? Yeah, that's hard to say because I honestly learned so much by spending time in elementary classrooms. And I, you know, my challenge is for secondary educators to open up their thinking to what our elementary colleagues are doing. But I would say that however we can, I mean, I think we need to start as early as we can around mm-hmm. that idea of reader identity and yeah. and to really invest in helping students see themselves as readers and to redefine it if 
and I don't, you know, I did my own research. It was one pocket, but if that's true in our society, that to be a reader, you have to have a Goodreads list or to be a reader, you have to be a part of a book club. Right. I think we can do more as it's limited. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's limited. Yeah. 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 So any way to help honor all of the literacies of our students. Mm-hmm. When young people were making TikTok videos, I was asking questions. How do you do right. that? What's your storyboarding? How many takes was that? What's your <laughs> thinking process? Because that thinking process is literacy. And absolutely. I think we need to help students see that so that they can translate their out of school literacy activities mm-hmm. to what they're doing in school. In school, yeah. Because we're helping them with the academic part, but they come, they don't come empty. They no. come with all kinds of skills to, they do. to, to translate. Oh, I love that. My next question for you is for parents. What tips or suggestions do you have for parents who are trying to support their children who are in the upper grades with reading? This is, it's interesting because I'll hear from parents that they stop reading to the kids, you know, around third or fourth grade. What do you think parents, but then if the kids are struggling, they're not sure what, how to support them. So I'm so curious what your thoughts are. Well, I (laughs) obviously model reading. Yeah. The more that we model reading and Mm -hmm. and create a space for that. I think it's getting harder and harder because we we live in a very digital world, but that modeling of reading is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Keep reading as a family out loud. Yeah. Everybody. I mean, just our blood pressure goes down when we read aloud. We brought picture books into the high school classroom. And at first, my students were like, do you think we're babies? Why are you reading this? And I'm like, oh, wait, until you see this book. This is not a baby book. I would not read this book to a baby. These are everybody (laughs) books. You know, so you bring out Pink and Say. Right. That is not a book for babies, right? So, but as soon as I started reading... It's just like the anxiety goes down. Mm-hmm. Students are calm. I usually didn't finish a book because I was following the workshop framework. So I've okay. only got 10 minutes. These are longer right. books. So I would start it and they'd be like, no, 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 keep reading. Like tomorrow, we'll come back to it right. tomorrow, <laughs> which was great. It got kids to come back to class the next day. Yeah, yeah. So I think parents and families can be doing that too and, and sharing mm-hmm. books. One thing I wish I would have done as a parent, I I was talking with a colleague of mine who he would sit out in the hallway in between his son's room and his daughter's room when they were in middle and high school, and he would read aloud a book. Oh, my gosh. So they both got to hear it. They both were in their room, but they were reading like Kite Runner aloud. Oh, my God. Right. And. And I'm like, oh, I wish I would have done that. Although my daughter was upstairs and my son was downstairs. But <laughs> So yes, reading together. I also yeah. believe in buy books for your kids. Yeah. Books are a great thing to give as a holiday gift or mm-hmm. birthday gift. And take kids to 
bookstores and to the library, yeah. but buy them what they want to read. Let them read and explore and and also model that reading takes all forms. So if you're going to museums, mm-hmm. there's a lot to read in a museum. If yes. you're going to a play, there's a playbill and there's right. really great background information on the actors and the show yeah. that go early enough so that you can engage in that together yeah. and have conversations around it. And then, you know, we know there's a lot going on in the world. And so mm-hmm. having a third point, something to read, to be able to talk about the conflict right now that's ha- happening um, on the right. Gaza Strip, it gives an opportunity to have discussion. And discussion is an important part of, of literacy. And then right. finally, I would say model curiosity. Oh, I li- that's a good one to be curious and yeah. and to pursue their curiosities and not feel like they have to have an answer the best inquiry the best curiosity really just leads to more questions mm-hmm. I love those those are great oh my gosh thank you so much well this was such a wonderful conversation I'm so glad that you came on and I am so excited about your book it's really amazing. And as I think it can be applied to all levels, not just six through 12, but it can definitely go younger. So thank you so much. Can you tell everyone where they can find you and where they can find your book? Sure. So you can find me. um, I have a new website, jenniferplucker.com. You can also find me at mackinlearning.com. That's the professional learning division here at Mackin. My book, you can buy It's linked on my website, but you can Mm -hmm. buy it directly from Solution Tree, which is my publisher. It's on Amazon. Mm -hmm. Mackin sells it. Other book distributors sell it. So you can pretty much find it wherever you buy books. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much, Jen. I really appreciate you coming on and speaking. I love being here. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, that was a great conversation, and I really enjoyed reading Jennifer's book. You should definitely pick up a copy. As I said before the interview, her book is great for helping develop students' reading identities. That is one of my favorite points in her book. And it's just so important for kids, again, at any age or any grade level. And I think you would really enjoy it as well. So I do hope that Jennifer shared something about her work that you found helpful today. I'll be back in two weeks. And until next time, happy reading. And that's it for this episode of The Literacy Teacher's Life. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at The Literacy Teacher's Life. My email address is elizabeth at theliteracyteacherslife.com. Thank you so much for listening. Please tell a friend about this podcast. And of course, you can leave me a review on any podcast platform where you listen. I so appreciate it. I'll see you next time. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.